0: Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday mornings, seven forty Eastern Time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Well, good
1: morning, Malcolm, and welcome back. Thank you very much. It's a very successful trip.
0: I appreciate that. We took the. Uh, I'm not. I'm not suggesting this to everybody, but we did take the Friday morning flight back, and Baruch Hashem, it landed early, so we had an opportunity to. Uh, to get home even earlier, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the rabbis would say. Everyone should check with their individual rabbi about traveling that close to Shabbos. But you know, Mister homeline these days air travel is relatively reliable, wouldn't you say? Not on Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly understand that, and maybe might even concur at this point. I know, and and you've emphasized, and for good reason, and rightfully so. You've emphasized how. Local issues are are not what you um, uh, concentrate on during the week, and certainly um, have a limited role in what we discuss on Fridays. But I, I just feel I need your endorsement to remind uh, leaders of all types—religious leaders, uh, political leaders, organizational leaders of all types—that uh, that we we should react um, um, appropriately. Uh, to the disgusting, disgraceful, and violent attacks against the New York City Police Department officers. And I'm sure you agree and encourage all rabbis and all community leaders to use opportunities to express our solidarity with the New York City Police Department.
1: I couldn't agree more. You know, when they do things that are wrong and people are critical, it's legitimate. And if there are differences, but to have, when you have the breakdown of the system and when those who are... Empowered uh, to to enforce the law, they don't make the laws, but they enforce them. And for them to be degraded in in this way, and there not to be an outcry, I think is is undermines very elements of society. And it's um, it's really outrageous. And I think the the onus falls on the community leaders of the of those involved, and the police have a responsibility to arrest those who
0: perpetrated it. Yeah, 100%. The outcry is really, that's exactly what I'm looking for, and I hope that uh, leaders in our community participate in what needs to be an outcry after all those outrageous incidents. Uh, while we're on the subject of, of local for a moment, uh, is there a memory or two you could share with us about Robert Morgenthau?
1: I can share many. Uh, I actually worked very closely with him over many, many years, uh, not only because he was a crusading prosecutor, Somebody deeply devoted to Israel, helped so much on the war on terrorism. Was one of the first who who really responded when I went to him in the in the early '90s and maybe even earlier about the threat of Islamic fundamentalism and of the terrorists coming to our shores and of them building infrastructure. He um, was involved with us on Soviet Jewry. He was uh, really a remarkable man and. Um, I talked to him very frankly about the, 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 you know, his father's role in in World War II and so many other things. Uh, but really, uh, is so remarkable. I think his um, true contributions have been underplayed by the media. He's been out of office for for years, but. Uh, he his uh, I think history will record him very favorably. So he
0: definitely gets some of the credit for how seriously New York's public officials take the threat of Islamic fundamentalism uh, and of terrorism. Yes, of terrorism. They're right. Um, okay, let's go to some of the other news of the day. I, I'm having trouble understanding exactly what's happening with the British oil tanker. Is this is this tanker still under control of the Iranians?
1: Yes, the the, the the crews I understand have been freed. The, there were reports from the Indian government, from other governments, that the people, the crews have been freed. But the, as far as I know, as of now, the, the tanker still remains under control of the of the Iranians. And you know, th- these are really incredible developments when you you think about it. Uh, it, it was obviously a tit for tat for the seizure of the Iranian ship by in, in, near Gibraltar, but that was done under uh, because of a crime being committed and under EU law and sanctions. Here you have uh, a, a situation where they were harassing ships in the Straits of Hormuz. Something you know that we talked about and warned about, and the the threats that Iran made about this is. Um, it, you know, were very clear and had to be taken seriously. There were other reports that they had a little boat with um, laden with explosives that they had floated in front of a British ship. That the they had the mines in on the little islands that are, are around there. That the um, uh, they had threatened American ships and, and American F-15s flew over and sent a warning, so they backed off. Uh, and now, American um, planes and, and ships are are escorting American tankers uh, through the straits. But it's a very narrow area at points, and it can be easily controlled. They have these little fast boats that can be suicide boats or or attack vehicles. The um, so the the outrage is so minimal compared to the seriousness of this provocation. And, and Iran, by the way, fired missiles yesterday or overnight, actually, into uh, uh, fired missiles, which is, was a warning, and it sort of echoes what happened in North Korea, where they fired it, and now are saying this was a warning to South Korea. Despite all the nice talk and uh, the president's visit, et cetera, you see that their provocations and, and North Korea and Iran often work in tandem certainly have synergistic relationships in the missile program and maybe the, and the nuclear program you remember Syria was joint the, the the nuclear plant there was a joint effort we know that the missile program is based on the Nodong created by North Korea so there's a lot of interrelationship and you see that these provocations are continuing, and all of the talk about having talks with them, I'm all for resolving problems as easily in, and in a non-military way. But the message that the Iranians understand is strength. The sanctions are working. We thank God that, the, that they have put on and are increasing the sanctions both on individuals and on the regime. But when you see what they say Iran is talking now about just in the last 24 hours that they have uh, sleeper cells in in the UK ready to act uh terrorist cells that they have deployed and this is not just true there it's true in many places um and we know that uh, Iran was blazed, uh, blamed for some of the cyber attacks in the UK uh over over years um you you see the provocative statements and actions that they take and this is uh, – it really puts the marker down. If Britain can't take decisive action when one of its ships is, is seized, then it only encourages them to do other things, thinking that the West is uh, can always be cowed into, quote, talks, into talking about uh, their willingness to – redo the JCPOA when we see all along that they're advancing their nuclear and other military programs to support for terrorism and reminded of it when the commemorations this week of the Amiens bombing that it was Iran and Iranian officials who were behind it and continue to be behind so many of the attacks that are going on now they busted a, a whole network that they try to create amongst Israeli Arabs and uh, Palestinians and, it was Iran directly that was recruiting, and, uh, and the network, which was based in Syria, operated under Iranian leadership, uh, and uh, they uh, used fictitious Facebook uh, pages and all sorts of means uh, to recruit. So their aggressiveness doesn't diminish. We should not be fooled by again by you know any kind of words of, of uh, their readiness to negotiate. There's no indication that they're ready to do anything uh, to either scale back their nuclear program or their missile program. Uh, And they just feel the pressure of the sanctions, and are trying to alleviate that.
0: Would the uh, tanker episode have happened, if not for it being Transition Week in Great Britain, with the new prime minister taking over?
1: In fact, that could have been seen as a, as a reason not to do it because a government going out of power doesn't have to worry right. so much about what the reaction uh, would be. But uh, so I'm not sure that it was tied to that. It was tied more to the seizure of the right. and, of their boat and and the uh, fact that uh, Gibraltar was continuing to holding it to hold it under British.
0: And how does the U.S. uh, I mean, the the reaction and and I I mean, you went through it and even, you know, even to the average guy like me who who who's up on the news, it's it's unfathomable that the reaction as is as parve by Great Britain as it was this entire week. And that some of the headlines indicate that they're ready to to, you know, to to have negotiations while the tanker situation is being dealt with, you know, like that type of thing. You know, we're willing to to restart or start talks with Iran, while at the same time we have to deal with the tanker situation. It it seems absurd. Does the U.S. weigh in on any of this? Is President Trump or anybody either demanding or strongly suggesting to Great Britain and its leadership to deal with this differently?
1: Well, I'm sure there are a lot of private exchanges about it, but nobody wants to see this escalate, and and nobody wants a war right now, Not, not the president, not the... Iranians certainly don't want it because they know that they'll be decimated. Um, but, again, we, we, we're seeing the appeasement pro, uh, policy. It was a courageous move to take the ship, to seize the ship, which was going to Syria, loaded with Iranian oil. But the, um, the, the, you know, the response to it, again, and now we see that there are talks. There were certain individuals who met with Zarif when he was here, but the talks— are really uh, very uh, widespread, both from people I spoke to in Iran and others who who are concerned and believe that there are preliminary contacts being made. I don't think there are negotiations right now. But the the Iranians only understand one language, and that is strength. And if they're really ready to make concessions and to move either to a new agreement or to change it, and even though all their statements right now are, are to the contrary, their public statements, you know, and then they dismiss it and say, "Well, it's for domestic consumption." No, what they say is what they mean, and they act on, on what they say.
0: What was U.S. reaction to the uh, uh, to the public uh, d- the p- publicly uh, mentioned desire by Iran to get into negotiations? I shouldn't say negotiations, discussions with the United States.
1: Well, they said that with, President Trump has said always that he's open to negotiations. But you see, by the launching of the missile, by how North Korea, that they play off of what a genuine efforts to try to resolve problems by exploiting that. And the and in the case of the British seizure, the president said, look, that's Britain's issue. They've got to, to deal with it. Uh, obviously, America's presence there has been bolstered and, and um Uh, Now, there is an effort to create a European led naval mission to ensure the safe shipping through the Straits of Hormuz. Uh, Rather than, I think, and and America took down uh, a drone or two. We don't know for sure if the second one was taken down. The Iranians deny. Uh, that that's uh, that, that that it was the case so it isn't that we're being passive it's it's a better response and and the fact that we've built it up uh, the capacity in the straits remember 60% of the oil coming to the west goes through the straits of Hermuz and they can easily choke it there and the other entrance the narrow point which is bab el mandab off the coast of yemen we see that the houthis are continuing literally every single day attacks against Saudi Arabia because Iran wants to see Saudi Arabia tied up. UAE is pulling out of it because they, they don't see any reason uh, to continue. But the Saudis aren't given a choice when literally every day there are drone attacks and other attacks against uh, on Saudi soil by, uh, by the Houthis. And the Iranians want to keep uh, this hot and uh, the Saudis... Uh, involved or, or embarrassed by uh if they would pull out while the attacks are ongoing. So Iran is continuing all of its nefarious activities and, you know, it's a question of what is the message that we're giving. We gave them a powerful message with the sanctions. And the administration has to be commended, the Treasury Department, other State Department, all those who were involved. They're working. And we shouldn't undermine it by sending mixed signals because they only exploit it and uh, we see the uh, the Iranian uh, activities, the aggressiveness, the is is never diminished, despite any kind of uh, nicer words or open words to saying that they're ready to negotiate. They're ready to negotiate. They know the conditions that they can create that would make it possible.
0: But if nobody's willing to speak their language, as like you put it, if both the U.S. and Great Britain, at least in this case is not willing to speak their language, then it, it, it's just not it, it's not going to help. I mean, I understand the President of the United States, you know, would prefer that there be no confrontations and that, you know, uh, in, in, and we don't want escalation, as you put it. But, I mean, at, at some point, at some point, they just, you know, enough is enough. Isn't somebody yeah. going to, to make that determination?
1: The, the Determination may have been made, but the question is what actions and whether, and that we not send Uh, Mixed signals. You know, I saw that the Bahraini foreign minister uh, issued a statement saying that if um, if it wasn't for Iran uh, being present and their support for Hamas and uh, the jihadis that took control over Gaza, uh, he said we would have been much closer to achieving a better peace between Palestinians and Israelis. So if you have people issuing courageous statements because they could potentially suffer the consequences, you know, Bahrain right. is is a little entity that uh, certainly there could be a backlash because they understand that Iran has to be confronted. You cannot um, deal with them as if they're a, a democracy and, and the regime is, you know, one that, that um, what, what it says is what it does they play these duplicitous game and always have and they ran circles around the negotiators in the JCPOA agreement and they're continuing to do it and and you know I, I, we don't even have time to document all the stuff they're doing including now smuggling weapons to to Hezbollah in Lebanon from the sea and they are so determined to get these weapons through and Israel has been more successful in blocking and Taking them out and hitting warehouses as they did again this week, but wasn't in syria that, wasn't that port always used for hezbollah weapons no they, they, most of the weapons were shipped over land uh-huh. and uh and also Israel monitors and can see when a ship is coming in and out but they they, they are so hell bent on it and and by the way, we're seeing new activities in Africa and there are reports of you know hezbollah's activities in South America which Got the focus this week because of the uh, anniversary of the Amiyat, uh... bombing which hezbollah was responsible for the uh, and no one has been brought to justice for it and We know the names of the Iranian leaders Valiati, um, uh, rasjani and and seven others who of uh, whom there are red cards at Interpol and not one has been arrested even though they 've traveled abroad and gone to other countries at least twenty countries that we know of and the the um, you know the message is very clear for when they can get away with it, it, it the u s issued warnings about dealing with the Iranian airline when they continue to put the pressure on on the economic pressure and and that is really working and they we deserve um um and they deserve credit so Rouhani can say we're going to, we're ready to negotiate, but we're not ready to surrender and if that's what it means then we're not we're not interested, they keep sending the conditions as if they're the ones in control, and they have to understand. And, and it's most important to me is that the message we send to the Iranian people, that they have to know that the West is ready to stand up.
0: It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web at com, on the Siegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. All right, we'll do – I mean, we got to get to the Israeli politics, which we will, but let's start with the BDS here in the United States. So the um, the Congress of the United States, or the House, I should say, uh, came out in a very strong fashion um, against uh, a BDS, um, against, uh, against those who boycott Israel and the concept of boycotting Israel. Now, I was under the impression, based on the news of the last couple of weeks, that some of the Congress uh, mem- members of the United States House of Representatives were bringing a resolution to the floor of the House the opposite way, encouraging um, and, 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 uh, and, and voting for the right to boycott Israel if necessary or if, if, if uh, desired. Now, did that ever happen? Yes. And what was that vote?
1: No, it, it, it has very little support. The vote in the, on the major bill, was three ninety eight to seventeen but remember it's it's a resolution and um, and the the um, um, I think was ninety percent of the Republicans and over seventy five percent of Democrats voted for it so when you have three hundred and ninety eight in in favor and you have four hundred and thirty five members so there are thirty seven uh, members who didn't only seventeen voted against a lot were absent a lot the, didn't show up for it again it's not a law it 's a resolution um and it 's not it doesn 't go as far as the Senate bill that was passed earlier this year that would allow uh, state and local governments to refuse to do business with companies that boycott israel but it 's a clear expression of opposition to the b d s movement and to the efforts of a small handful to undermine it and to um, uh, and and the argument was used that it undermines the possibility of a negotiated solution and other things that that enhanced the the base uh, of, of support for it but the um uh, it was a clear repudiation and the other Uh, measure Uh, and the only thing surprising in the other measure was that John Lewis had joined as a co-sponsor but he issued a statement saying yesterday that he was only commenting on the I mean his support was only because he felt that people should have a right to boycott or to do whatever because of the civil rights movement of which he was a leader Uh, but that he voted for the other resolution because he rejects BDS and he supports Israel uh, which was uh, you know at least a clarifying statement uh, but they, of course, you know, t- touted the fact that he had joined their intent being an anti-Israel measure, his intent being a, a civil rights uh, ex- uh, expression. Um, <clears throat> but overall, it's a clear uh, indication of, of where Congress stands in a bipartisan basis, not something that doesn't happen uh,
0: that often. And I'm sure he knew the impact that his decision and his vote would have, even with the, uh, you know, even, even with making up for it. You mean John Lewis? Yeah, even with making up for it. By I'm not 100 percent sure. No, I mean the way the media treats him, you'd think he's Martin Luther King, and that he has, you know, well, he, he
1: you know, he had a historic role. I'm and, saying, and, uh, so, but, so, so uh, you don't uh, think he realized? I don't that? want to go beyond that to say that I'm not sure.
0: Hmm, all right. Uh, meanwhile, Israel will allow two congresswomen who support BDS to enter the country for a visit next month. The ambassador to the U.S., Ron Dermer, said last week that Representative uh, Ilan Omar from Minnesota and Rashida Tlaib from Michigan will be permitted entry. Was there ever a serious consideration that they be kept out of Israel? Well, the prime minister said that he was going to
1: consider it. Um, I think that this was the right decision. That it would have been you would have made martyrs and heroes out of them. you would have forced members of Congress who do not support them to come out and say that they shouldn't be barred, that a member of Congress should be able to go, and Israel has nothing to hide. let them come, let them see whatever they want they will, will they try to exploit it. I have no doubt that that's their modus, but they would have exploited the refusal to let them in even more. So we can anticipate, you know, that they will try to uh, exploit the situation. Israeli leaders won't meet them and won't, I'm sure, you know, won't go beyond what they're, they're required to do. Um, but uh, not to have done so would have meant that we would have had an endless campaign and an endless uh, portrayal that Israel is trying to hide things, that Israel, you know, won't let members of Congress who are critical uh, to come in, other critical people, Rand Paul, others visit Israel and um um you know the, it's a better to show that israel is open available and that we should make sure to to be able to get our message uh, out although of course you know the media just uh, glorifies them and and uh, focuses on them and um highlights their their activities even though if you really drill down you see that they know very little that that a lot of this is is not serious uh,
0: policy Do you think that uh, one can legitimately say that the two of them in Minnesota and Michigan represent districts that are generally anti-Israel? No,
1: I think that uh, both are going to face problems. Those two will face problems: uh, Michigan and and uh, Minnesota, <clears throat> because we, the polls show that a lot of their people, their constituents, are not supportive. The case of of Michigan, it was there were five, I think, uh, African Americans running, and this was a fluke election. I think she's going to have a tough reelection election um, Many, in, even in the Somali community, have expressed in Minnesota uh, concern that she's too busy you know, playing on the international scene and not really representing the people in the district. Um, But that was a seat held by Keith Ellison. So, yes, there is a predilection, clearly, in that uh, district. But the hypocrisy of of the people, you know, there there was um, a Palestinian journalist wrote a piece uh, describing how Hamas take children in buses, protest against Israel at the Gaza border. This is in the Jerusalem Post for those who didn't see it. They bring children and encourage them to do whatever they can to get close to the fence. And he says they exploit this to claim that Israel is killing their children when Hamas's leadership are responsible for the deaths. Uh, You don't hear one word of condemnation. You don't hear anything coming from any of them and I don't like the terms that are used to describe them, I think it only makes them sound more uh, like squad, et cetera, uh, sound more important or more attractive. Um, we should not talk about them, and I don't. I try to avoid using the names because that only builds them up. They want the attention, put the attention on the people who are doing good stuff, who are really fighting battles every day, who are uh, courageous, and that applies whether it's in academia or in entertainment, those who, who uh, reject the boyco- and the boycotts and the pressure that Pink Floyd and others put on them um, and, and not on, on these people because you can see their hypocrisy. You can see that the, 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 they don't know what they're talking about often, but they that they will never come out in condemnation of these other things. Look what's happening in Lebanon. Palestinians till today are, are denied access to professions. People have been living there for 60 years, right, 70 years. Um, uh, and um, and now there, there were new laws being introduced against foreign workers. So the Palestinians in the camps, some who had come from Syria, um, are, are demonstrating, and they talk about a new intifada in Lebanon, uh, within Lebanon. You don't hear if they're really concerned about them. Why aren't they talking about these issues? Because yep.
0: that's not the goal. That's not their uh, priority, that's for sure. Um, but by, by the way, speaking of Michigan, I saw you had in the Daily Alert this uh, Burgerim restaurant case. Um, I mean, it, the guy's a Lebanese-American, and now, and now he, he's suffering because, because the uh, roots of that uh, chain are in Israel, and for that reason alone, uh, you know, those who want to boycott Israel want to make sure he can't open his restaurant in Dearborn.
1: Yeah, so it's been delayed. It hasn't. He hasn't canceled it. But the they, four places even open, they're having boycotts and, and threats against it.
0: And the money he's lost already,
1: and uh, a lot of money that he lost. I mean, it's really an outrageous uh, uh, demonstration, and it should be illegal to be able to do that, to engage in in that kind of boycott. That's why we passed the anti-BDS and anti-boycott legislation of the Arab League, etc., and why states' actions on this, 27 states have already adopted anti-BDS legislation, which really applies mostly to them. But I think that we can, I'm sure we could get interpretations and find legislation wording that doesn't restrict people's right to express themselves and freedom of speech, etc., but not to engage in such harmful practices against an innocent person who just wants to open up a burger stand. (laughs)
0: Unbelievable. By the way, uh, obviously I agree with your point about the uh, insane amount of publicity that these uh, members of Congress get, these specific members of Congress get. But as long as as long as the, uh, the the ones who set the agenda for pop culture, especially the late night talk show hosts, as long as they continue to give them this this platform and and. Make it as if they're the, as if these government officials are the ones running the country, and in some cases running the world, uh, or what they have to say is the most important thing of any government official in the world. It's going to be a very tough battle to, uh, to fight. Also, CNN, uh, what, what, how did they refer to it? Now this is an overwhelming vote. This BDS vote, right? You told us the numbers. That's a really overwhelming vote. But there was a headline that CNN published, which of course now I forgot.
1: Uh, it, it was divided, I think. It was right, uh, right,
0: right. Like it's that. Indicating that there was sort of like, you know, both sides had a pretty strong showing, right? <laughs> That's basically what they were trying to say.
1: Yes, it said it was divisive. Right. 398 to 17 <laughs> is a divided vote. <laughs> I mean, it is truly outrageous, but it's it's a, such a blatant example. As anybody who doesn't understand, when we talk about media bias, that that headline, which – and nobody 90% of people never get beyond the the headline – that they see that and don't understand the bias in CNN, which is also true in other uh, media. It, it's just uh, um, you know remarkable that uh, that uh, you don't see anything, uh, uh, any kind of um, uh, responsibility being taken, and the kind of of uh, condemnation that this should arouse to, just to highlight the fact of how blatant the miscoverage is and
0: the distortion is hundred percent. Well, this emailer is correct. I haven't asked you my typical uh, transition question about how the new prime minister of Great Britain is generally regarding Israel.
1: He's great. Um, People liken him to Trump, but he he has a a long history of support for Israel and uh, the cabinet members that are being appointed, uh, generally considered favorable to Israel. Um, he is—he actually was, has been outspoken, and uh, there's a lot of people who anticipate an early visit to Israel uh, by him. Um, and it certainly stands in stark contrast with the leader of the Labor Party, Corbyn, whose anti-Semitism and anti-Semitism rampant in the Labor Party become more and more apparent and still nothing, virtually nothing done to to counter it.
0: All right, finally, you know what's left on the agenda, and that's Israeli politics. Uh, you know what I find funny, by the way? I don't know if you agree with this. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're, we're singing about the, the right alliance, the left alliance, and you'll, we'll go through it in a second. But I find it funny that these smaller parties are now getting more attention and more poll numbers by the Israeli public. I would think after that first election of 2019, I would think people would gravitate more toward the larger parties knowing that their votes going to now have a greater impact with the larger parties. Any surprise on your end on this? Uh,
1: I think that uh, the, that when you look at the polls, I think the latest polls show Likud could thirty and blue and white twenty eight. Right. Um, that uh, the small parties loom larger, um, and with the, I mean the talk of a unity government. Now Netanyahu said no unity government. Others. Uh, Say there are talks that there would be a unity government with Gans and and blue and white would split up um We see now that the likelihood is that there will be a, a united uh right um under uh, that the new right will join the united right and um, maybe with the uh, Shaquette as the head and she's very popular they delay i think the polls would show that they're getting fifteen seats sixteen seats something like that um and uh of course. The, the smaller parties, then their role gets magnified when well, you have to look at how do they reach 61 votes. So the religious parties, if they have 15 seats and 16 seats of the new right, is 31. With the uh, liquids, 30 would make 61 so they could form a government. Nobody wants to see a situation where you come out with an indecisive outcome and then you have to go to a third election. Yeah, that's
0: why I just assumed. That most of the Israeli public, knowing that would, would would you know that a significant portion would move their votes from smaller to larger parties just to increase the possibility of actually forming a government, but I guess people don't think like that always uh, oh, 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 oh. Israeli um,
1: political thought is is um, usually impossible to predict and every pollster <laughs> will tell you, as I've said many times you know that they're, they're known that Israelis tell the truth to the pollsters and lie at the polls, mm-hmm. which is why their predictions never turn out to be to be right, and I think very few people two weeks ago three weeks ago would have seen um uh um, bennett back and and um and to see i you know Jacked maybe leading this uh this new united uh, front i think that it's it's uh it's it's very much interesting remember it's, before, it's still the summer vacation people are not necessarily that focused and will by you know later on uh Look much more seriously at it, and uh, Lieberman is coming out again, saying that they won't join a right wing government. And if it uh, uh, and uh, what's happening with Barack, I think his party is imploding even more. It didn't cross the threshold, but you know, with his tie to Epstein and other things that are are exploited, even though nobody has shown that he did anything wrong yet, um, that the the, um, uh, the fractionating of the on the left. Right, it's just the the turmoil of Israeli politics, and it's it's attributable to the list system and to the need for coalitions as opposed to, let's say, a two-party system. But we see today that a two-party system can be pretty raucous as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I will tell you that one of my favorite parts of the campaign is being in Israel when those campaign posters are up, and there were not enough up yet last week. I don't know what they're waiting for.
1: Then- Cause re- remember, they just went through it and they had <laughs> I know, I know. huge posters <laughs> but, everywhere. But then, <laughs> and now they're doing a lot more on the internet. And I understand there's some very funny ads that have come out, and people don't follow it. But Israelis tell me all the time, you know, about the latest one, the latest. Uh, um, mocking uh, everybody, including Netanyahu, um, and uh, we should note that he passed the record of Ben Gurion. Oh, right. as the uh, longest-serving uh, prime minister, important milestone, uh, and uh, I think something he wanted to achieve. But his uh, so now he will uh, bypass him, and hardly likely that it will be replicated soon. Right,
0: but then thank God, last Thursday, I'm driving. <laughs> we're driving in Jerusalem. And I see an entire corner filled with campaign posters for Ehud Barak. So here's <laughs> what you have. You have one that says, Medinat Netanyahu, O Medinat Israel," which I thought was hilarious. And then you have one that says, al HaKisei, or Arlu la HaMedina, which basically means, <laughs> are we more concerned with, with watching the seat of government, meaning his own seat, the prime minister, or actually uh, supervising the Medina, the, the state? Uh, then you have here, um, Netanyahu may al-hakol, oh ha Hok may al-hakol. You know, mm-hmm. is, is Netanyahu the priority the law, or blah, is, blah, the blah. Priority is the priority the law? Blah, blah. And all this is Barack. and a week later, the guy's number 10 on the left-wing list. <laughs> he's not even going to come close to, to, to being in the member of government this time around.
1: And the chutzpah that he had <laughs> is to say that he's not going to give up his cannabis business involvement and in other activities if he gets elected.
0: Yeah, well, I tell you, it's just it's just hilarious. And there were a couple other candidates who also have posters up, but I didn't see Netanyahu posters up yet. I was hoping.
1: As I said, I think he's there They're running uh, and and they, you don't want to do two things too early. He's also doing because a lot of, get tired of it. He's doing a lot of
0: Facebook live.
1: He does a lot of Facebook websites for the internet because is his vehicle and it's a very powerful that that is the influencer. It's probably more important than the newspaper ads and
0: right. um
1: um I think that, they, you know, he, he he's always been very clever in his use of the
0: of social media. Do you think any other countries are going to be interfering with the Israeli election? Well, absolutely. Well, we know the Russians and others have hacked into the system. Uh, because, you know,
1: that could be, be a very bad systems, thing. But they do it everywhere. So, whoa, so whoa, whoa, nobody's whoa, shown whoa, whoa. It changed
0: how people vote. Whoa, whoa, don't say we're doing it everywhere. I watched the, uh, the hearings this week. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's true. Half the people on that stage said they don't do it here.
1: <laughs> well, it depends what you mean they're doing it here, whether they are infiltrating into the Internet systems globally. Right. A lot of countries are doing it, and the Russians are, are far advanced. And, um, you know, when you look at, for instance, a lot of the anti-Semitic websites, they trace to Ukrainian addresses, to Iranians, to others. People manipulate the the Internet. It's a powerful vehicle. Um you know, when you think about the fact that there are 2.5 billion Gen Xers in the wor- or Z's in the world, and millennials, uh, who are a a a universe of people that are living off the thing, they don't even know what a newspaper is. It's uh, they, uh, many of them don't know what a radio is today. That the um, you know the impact of of the social media is
0: is very great. It's unbelievable. Different world. Completely different world. All right, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. Good Shabbos, Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.